So I've been giving you characteristics of traffickers, and I've been giving you names of traffickers. I've been giving you ways that you can tell where they are, kind of practice looking for them, all of those kinds of things. But this episode, this podcast, I am going to share with you the inner workings of a trafficking group, because I feel like this actually helps you see what's going on, see where it's happening. And then you can kind of look at the people around it and see if they have those traits, those characteristics that you've been practicing looking for and put the pieces all together so that you can identify if it is actually a human trafficking organization or not. One of my favorite books when I was growing up was A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. And I really related to this book. I loved it. I read it a lot. Uh, my copy is kind of in tatters. And it turns out that I always felt like it was fiction, but it is not. The trafficking organization that I have been talking to you about and telling you how they work have used it as a template for how to run their little operation. I know this because uh, just recently some, some of us went to go and see if we could find out more about this organization. And we ended up in a little town in the middle of nowhere. As soon as we got to the borders of this town, I felt like I was in its building. Now, for those of you who have not read A Wrinkle in Time, I will give a little bit of a background. Uh, it is the name of the big evil villain. And it controlled everything. And so when you entered its uh, realm of power and control, you were dealing with everything that it was doing. So it is the name of the evil. And <laughs> it was there. Now I've told you that I've been dealing with this organization for quite some time now. I didn't know it at the first and I started seeing more and more and then people in the organization helped uh, out themselves and helped me see even more. Uh, but we finally, after all of this time, have managed to get an insider into the organization. And this person has been feeding us information, has been giving us how the organization has been working, how they have been able to traffic uh, people, and how they have been able to continue for as long as they have. So I will not obviously give you any kind of inkling of the identity of this person, uh, because their information and their secrecy, their privacy, is vital 
to the work that we're doing in order to bring this organization down. So you're just going to have to deal with the fact that you're not going to know and it'll be all right. But I do want to say that this person is incredibly courageous and brave and I am so thankful for the work that they have been doing so that we have more information and can do more to finally take this group down. So there are a few things about uh, traffickers. Uh, you've heard some of the words uh, be thrown around, not just you know by me, but by other people who have worked to bring what they do to light. Uh, so you've heard about breeders, you've heard about groomers, you've heard about you know um, the levels that they are on. You've heard about the underlings. You've heard so you've heard about all these terms, but I'm going to use some terms that are not normally used in the trafficking world. Uh, this organization is kind of unique in some aspects. And so some of the things that I'm going to be talking about are not really normal in regular trafficking organizations. One of the reasons that these uh, behaviors are happening is because some of the traffickers are getting ready to be phased out. So it's kind of like in the old days with the mafia where the grandfathers, the, the rulers of the different um, mafia gangs, groups, organizations, whatever you want to call them, uh, would get older and they still wanted to stay in power, but they were old. They didn't have the functioning ability. They didn't hold the same threat that they used to. And usually what would happen either is they would die off of natural causes or um, because they'd been kind of exiled or they were killed off um, or put in prison so that they really couldn't do anything anymore. Uh, what you're seeing in this day and age is that as our life expectancies are getting uh, older and older, you're having traffickers who really like what they're doing. They don't want to leave it. And so they're trying to let the organization know that they're still a viable resource and they still need to be kept around. And so you're getting these older people that should be getting phased out, trying to create new positions for themselves. You know, the trafficking is morphing to what society is doing, and they are trying to make themselves relevant uh, based off of how our life cycles are going, how society is viewing this, uh, because they don't want to lose what they have. So that is part of what you're going to see when I'm talking about this stuff. Now, this is kind of new for traffickers. If you look back at the trafficking situation starting from the 1980s, 1990s, even early 2000s, you did not see these roles that I'm going to start talking about emerge because they didn't need to. Uh, you had uh, so a lot of cult leaders would help with trafficking organizations. Well, when these cult leaders would get into positions where um, they were getting in trouble with the law or they were no longer a viable resource, they would, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, look at 
Charles Manson, he got put in prison. Look at David Koresh, he got killed, right? So you look at these uh, different people and they kind of follow the same patterns as the old mafia, but you don't want that anymore. You have these people that don't want to go to prison and they don't want to be phased out and they don't want to be killed. And so they have to come up with ways to make themselves look like they're worth keeping around. Now you've heard me talk about both Charles Pipkin and Derek Morrell. Charles Pipkin is trying to make himself a mentor. He is in his 70s and he is not as spry. He does not think as clearly. He is not a very good asset. His stamina is decreasing, so he can't do runs like he used to be able to. And what you've got here is he's looking around and he's trying to figure out how he can still be a threat, how he can still maintain his position, but how he can still also convince the people that are looking at him going, yeah, you're not up there in our eyes, how he can still stay in their good graces so they won't kick him out in one way or another. He's trying to use his longevity to benefit the, his organization. So he's trying to use his contacts to keep uh, the people interested because he's trying to bring in new, fresh people into the organization through these contacts. He's been doing this a long time, so he's got a lot of contacts, right? Okay. He's trying to bring in his knowledge of the trafficking and slash polygamy world because polygamy is actually a very big hiding place for traffickers. Hilldale, Utah is a main trafficking hub. Uh, the Law enforcement knows this. They can't get in there to stop it. Uh, I was actually talking to a county sheriff, and I was telling him that we knew that these people functioned a little bit out of Hilldale, Utah. And he said, oh, my word. He said, I would rather have them in Europe and Asia. I can get to Europe and Asia easier than I can get into Hilldale, Utah. And I said, yeah, I know. Hilldale, Utah is a very, very guarded, dangerous place. You don't just go walking in there. They have been working on keeping it protected for a very long time. Well, Charles has very deep connections in Hilldale, Utah in the polygamy world because he comes from polygamy himself. So he has managed to have inroads in there and he uses that to his, his advantage. Now that's part of what he does. Another thing he's trying to do is bring in fresh young blood and teach them how to do it his way because he's been doing it a long time. He's been able to get away with it for a long time. So if he can teach these new people how to do it, then he is a very good resource to keep around. Now, you may say, but that sounds like a breeder. It is not a breeder. He is trying to be a mentor. He cannot be a breeder. He actually tried uh, with his oldest son. Now, I won't give his oldest son's name because he's a minor, but his oldest son uh, is not good at this. He does not care about it. He does not think. He does not have any patience. 
he goes around and does whatever he wants, uh, not in the borderline way, in the stupid teenager way, where he doesn't really care what his actions do, and he doesn't care what the consequences are. And so Charles and Rachel are having to lie for this boy a lot. Uh, the cops are being called, uh, and he's having to say, no, no, he was with me all night long. It's like, no, he wasn't. Everybody saw that he was with the other two kids in town that he hangs out with that are also out hurting people. Like I said, they're minors, so I won't give their names. Um, but they are not a good asset to this organization. In fact, they are a very bad asset to this organization. And the organization itself is getting ready to get rid of Charles's son within the organization. Now, I don't know if he knows enough that they will end his life or if they just want him out of the picture and so that he can't bring attention to them anymore. I'm not sure which way they're going to go on that one, but I do know that this boy's time is limited within this trafficking organization because he is not giving them anything but trouble. So that's what a breeder is, is a somebody who is trying to teach uh, the younger ones how to do their job. Charles doesn't want to teach anybody how to do his job. He wants his job. What he wants to do is show that he can teach other people how to do it the same way that he does it. So he's a trainer, right? I'm calling it a mentor because what I'm seeing is that he is giving the advice and hoping that people follow it. That's what a mentor does. He's also doing a little bit by example, which is also another thing that a mentor does. So I'm calling him a mentor. Not a good one, but that's still what he's doing. Now what you've heard me talk about already is how Charles managed to get his kids away from his ex-wife and prove that his wife was crazy in a mother state and then marry Rachel and have Rachel help him out in trafficking their kids. And then uh, he is, like like I said, no longer interested in Rachel in that way. And so he's probably looking at wanting to uh, get away from her, except from everything that Charles would tell me, uh, he could not. Rachel would brag about the fact that she made sure that if anything happened to Charles, because she knew he was older than she was, she made sure that she would be taken care of financially, no matter what? Because she knew that he would die first. So she brags about that. He brags about that. Oh, yep, we've got it in place that the house is in Rachel's name and all the assets are in Rachel's name. So if anything happens to Charles, Rachel gets everything. They like to brag about that. So here's the, here's the thing. I've told you a little bit about Derek and Juliet. Well, Juliet came to live with us. Told you that. All right. While she was here, the longer she was here, the madder she got at me because I wouldn't do what she wanted me to do. Now, it was at this time that Derek also was starting to try and hurt my business. You know, coincidence? I don't think so. Because Derek has been interested in a 
romantic relationship. I'm going to say sexual because it really wasn't romantic. A sexual relationship with Juliet since he met her. Like I said, Juliet was Derek's wife's college friend. So Juliet came with the wife. Uh, Derek met her when he started dating his wife. All right. So Juliet is living with us and she actually started getting really, really angry at me about the time that we took her on a very fun family vacation with us. And we paid for everything except a couple of souvenirs that she bought herself. But we paid for all her lodging. We paid for all of her food. We paid for all of her travel. We paid for all of her activities. Even though she could have paid for some of it, she didn't want to. So we paid for everything. And she was getting really mad at me at this time. And it was increasing. Now, the first Christmas that we, uh, she spent with our family, she said that it was the best Christmas that she'd ever had and that we gave her the greatest gifts she'd ever been given. Nobody had ever given her gifts that actually spoke to who she was and she really enjoyed it. Well, all of a sudden this second Christmas comes and she didn't even want to open the gifts. She didn't want to have anything to do with them. She was mad about all of them. Well, Derek was spending this Christmas with us also, and he was mad about the gifts that we gave him too. He didn't want to be there for Christmas. He didn't want to be spending Christmas with us, and he did not give anybody anything for Christmas either. So I've got these two people who are not really happy about being there for Christmas and not thankful for anything that I'm doing for them. Um, it was very difficult and I didn't like it. I didn't really put those pieces together until a little bit later. But uh, here's an example. Um, so my daughter, Juliet, actually loved dragons. And my daughter went and looked and found a Christmas ornament that was a dragon. And she bought it and she gave it to Juliet. Juliet was so disrespectful with this gift that she opened it up. She looked at it. She put it aside. And when she left, when she didn't le live with us anymore, she actually left it on her bed. She wouldn't even take it with her. So that was the kind of attitude that we were dealing with, right? All right, so it's after Christmas, and I just had two people be incredibly ungrateful for all of the hard work that I had put in, especially since we did not have a lot of money, and I was now providing Christmas for uh, seven people when I had only been planning on providing it for three so uh, I more than doubled the number and I did not more than double the money that I had for Christmas and I didn't really have a whole lot of time either. So it was, you know, I couldn't make a whole lot of things because I didn't have time and they were not thankful for what I had done. Okay, so this is where Juliet's attitude started really going downhill. This is where she started calling my clients and talking to my brother. Now, I talked to you about this before and said, okay, she violated all these HIPAA laws. But what I did 
realize with this is she is trying to dig up dirt on me. Derek and his uh, mom and their part of the trafficking organization wanted dirt on me. They wanted to find a way to get me in trouble or, you know, make me look bad so that I couldn't move forward and see the truth of what they were doing. But Juliet couldn't find any dirt on me. I am very honest about my faults and shortcomings as well as my positive attributes and my successes. And my boundaries, and I tell people this all the time, are rock solid. Now, I have a lot of people who hate me, who don't want to believe that, but they can't find any information on me because I don't give it out. My boundaries are rock solid. I'm not making that up. All right, so Juliet decides um, that she can't get any information from me. And so she claims, uh, she starts playing the pity card that uh, she needs more attention than anybody in my family. She does. She starts hijacking my time. I would come home from work and I told you my husband was sick and I would go in to try and spend time with my husband and she would come into my bedroom and just flop herself on my bed and lay there forever. I would say, okay, I need to spend time with my husband, but I have a problem. Like, well, okay, I get that, but I've already talked to you about it. So you already know what to do about it. So please go and do something about it. But I don't know what to do with work. Okay, there isn't anything going on with work. You're not working. So, you know, I would ask her to leave and she wouldn't. She just hijacked my time. I felt like I was being held hostage in my own house and she just could care less about what she was doing to us. And she started lying about everything. Everything she said was a lie. Now, this all sounds exactly like Derek. So it's really weird that all of a sudden I have two people who are not supposed to be in a relationship acting exactly the same whenever they are around me and my family. Juliet even tried to play the suicide card on me. I feel like killing myself. And I looked at her and I said, if you're serious, then I take you to the hospital. Are you serious? No. Uh huh. It was exactly at this time that Derek called up his best friend and said, I feel like killing myself. And his best friend calls me up and says, What do I do, Mandy? And I said, uh, Because Derek was out of town. He was driving truck at the time. So he wasn't even in the state. So calling his best friend when there's absolutely nothing his friend can do for him, it was kind of mean. Uh, but he, so his friend calls me and says, what do I do? And I said, you tell him if he really wants to end his life, he needs to take himself to the hospital and get himself admitted so that he can be kept safe until he can be okay. Uh, Derek did not like that answer whatsoever. He wanted to keep his friend on the phone and hijack his time. Ah, we're seeing so many similarities between what Juliet's willing to do and what Derek is willing to do. Okay, so finally I had had enough and I went to Juliet and I said, all right, lay it out on the table. What exactly are you mad at me for? Just tell me. And the two things that she told me were, you love your family and you won't get mad at me. You won't attack me. I'm like, that's what you're mad about. 
is that I'm not mean and rude and disrespectful. You're mad that I'm not acting like you, basically. And her response was, yes, that is what I'm mad about. Like, well, I can't help that because I'm not going to become rude and disrespectful just because it makes you mad that I'm not. Now, what I really believe is that she was mad that she couldn't get any dirt on me. She kept trying. Uh, My friends are not going to talk behind my back. And I don't give personal information to clients. So you call up my clients and say, give me dirt on Mandy. She's not, they're not going to be able to. And so I'm like, well, that's a really bad strategy. But as we have found throughout uh, this time, Derek is a horrible strategist. Now, he thinks that he's the greatest strategy maker in the world. He plays uh, D&D. He always has to be the DM. He cannot play the game because nobody's as good at leading a game as he is. Except when you get into the games and the real world, he's terrible at strategy. But in his own mind, he's not. So I've got Derek's strategy being played on me from Derek and Julia. All right, what does this have to do with anything? Here is where Charles's mentoring starts kicking in. So Derek is trying to do what Michelle, his mom, wants him to do so that they can move their trafficking forward. And I keep getting in the way. So Derek starts aligning himself with Charles Pipkin and getting advice from him because he's been so successful at it for so long. Now, Juliet thinks that she is partners with Derek, but the traffickers do not respect women. Now, I know that there are men and boys who get trafficked also. But in the U.S., you see a lot more outward external trafficking happening to women than you do to men and boys. It does not mean it's not happening to them. It's just that you see it more with the females uh, because they've made it more acceptable. They have to hide the a gay aspect of it because that's still a little passe with our culture, right? Uh, and part of, I, I will say this about the um, pride movement, part of what I appreciate about it is that when you bring that issue out loud, it's harder to traffic. So, you know, I appreciate that they're trying to protect themselves um, by putting it more in the public's eye. Uh, But I think that there's got to be a better way to do it than just making sure that um, boys and men in the pride community don't get trafficked. I think that we have to bring a lot more awareness to the fact that we're not paying attention to the males that are being trafficked. We are only paying attention to the females being trafficked. All right, there's my little soapbox. So the organization does not respect females in any way, shape, or form. You would not believe the number of texts and emails where we have been uh, 
well, we've read them, but they've been sent to our husbands or our, you know, male friends where they've said, you need to control your woman. It's like, what? Uh, we are not <laughs> in the dark ages. I'm sorry. That's not how that works anymore. But they actually send it that way. And when they are talking to people, they will not make eye contact with us. I've even been in a meeting where the two men would not start the meeting until I showed that I would be subservient to them. Uh, my business partner was in a meeting where uh, Charles Piper actually threatened her uh, her husband was sitting right there, but he, from under his desk, put his foot on top of her foot and then looked her right in the eyes and said, people who do this get in trouble. And she told me, I'm like, are you kidding me? He did that in front of your husband. That is the disrespect that they have for females. So here we are going to see a page out of Charles Pipkin's playbook that Derek has been doing. And it has been working in some aspects. Uh, the big problem is that Charles never had to encounter me when he was doing this um, this strategy. And so he doesn't know how to adjust it to counteract me, which is why they're so frustrated and want me gone because I keep interfering with the way that it has always worked. All right. So Julia wants nothing more than to be taken care of. Rachel wanted nothing more than to be taken care of. Derek, he filed for divorce and custody of his daughter uh, before his wife even had a chance to. And the entire time that he is getting ready, finding the lawyer, getting ready to file, he is texting his wife and saying, I don't want to get lawyers involved and I don't want to put our daughter in um between us. I don't want to use her against you. Uh, you know, I just, I just want to work this out. Let's, let's just work this out. And then all of a sudden his wife's being served with divorce and custody papers. So, you know, that lying, right? Okay. Then he manages to pay off the judge and He's got the judge listening to every single garbage lie that he is going to tell. And the longer this goes on, the more the judge doesn't want to have anything to do with his wife or daughter. There has not been a thing that this judge has done that is in the best interest of the child. And when you are in a custody situation... Utah law states that that is supposed to be the primary consideration to do what is in the best interest of the child. Now, every single time the wife tried to say, this is not in the best interest of my child, the judge shut her down, wouldn't even listen to her. Now, 
Derek's argument with this is that his evidence and his arguments are just better. He has no evidence and he's never made any arguments other than Mandy's crazy and I'm great. Uh, so that's not an argument. And we also listened to this judge uh, basically railroad another mom who was saying, my child is so emotionally distraught over the situation that you have put them in that they're not eating and they are not thriving. And the judge ignored it, said, I am not speaking to you about this. You are not a lawyer and I don't have to answer to you. So actually what happened, you know, and Derek to his dying day will follow the delusion that there's no way that you could pay off a judge. Oh my word, there are tons of ways that you can pay off a judge. And traffickers know the best judges to pay off. They know which ones will go with them. Obviously, Gregory Lamb of the Uinta County 8th District Court, this is not the first trafficking people he has worked for. He does it a lot. He's really good at ignoring the actual evidence and person who is telling the truth. I told you we're a mom state. Ignoring the mothers and the best interest of the child when we're a mom state, judges don't do that. And every time we talk to lawyers and say, this is what the judge is doing, they're like, judges don't do that. Well aware, judges don't do that. This judge is doing that, right? So, and I love it because this uh, Gregory Lamb was appointed by the governor of Utah. So in essence, what you have over here is the governor of Utah supporting human trafficking. I, and you could say that that's a giant leap, except that he's not doing anything to stop this judge hurting these kids. So if he, it, you know, a, a lie of omission is still a lie. Inaction is still hurting people. So if he's not willing to move forward and stop the judges that he's appointing from doing these things, then you have to come to the conclusion that government's corrupt, right? Okay. And you could say, well, let him know. Oh, we have. Uh, the Attorney General of Utah has had so many letters written to him telling him what is happening here and he just ignores it they ignore it they are like well if <laughs> it's kind of a la 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 if i can't see it and hear it it's not happening it's like oh okay that's an interesting way to govern your state but i don't think it's very good for your citizens so what we have happening here is a judge who is unwilling to follow the law and unwilling to do what's in the best interest of the child and doing exactly what the traffickers want him to do over and over and over again. And so the mother of the child starts showing up as crazy. In fact, and I'll get into more details about the illegal issues in this organization and how they use the judges, the cops to their advantage and could care less about the law. I'll get into detail about that, but not this time. Uh, so the thing about that is, as it has progressed, he has threatened the mom of the child more and more and more and more and just completely ignored everything that Derek is doing. 
We've even had the people that Derek has attacked write the judge letters, and the judge does not consider them. He he won't even look at them and think that they're worth dealing with. So Derek can basically, with this judge, do whatever he wants. And so he thinks that he is following the law because the judge that he's paying off is letting him do what he wants to do. And that is the argument that you will hear uh, him say. So this is from the playbook of Charles Pipkin, right? You have them declaring the mom insane and breaking the law and doing all these things wrong so that the dad, without any evidence, any work, any legal protocol whatsoever, getting full custody of the kids, in this case, a single child, but in Charles's, multiple children, and then... They have the judge decree a bifurcated divorce. It's a big fancy word that means a divorce in special circumstances. So if you have two people who are getting divorced and they have huge assets together, like they own a huge business together, and it's going to take a long time to divide up the assets and figure out how to make that work, then the judge will grant a divorce so that they don't have to be married while this is going on. Now, the big asset that Derek has used in claiming that he needs a bifurcated divorce, and I am not joking about this. In fact, I'll put the emails, yes, plural, up on my Common Sense Therapy page so you can read them. It's his Nintendo Switch. He is claiming he has to have a bifurcated divorce because he needs his Nintendo Switch. And he keeps texting his wife saying, you need to give it to me because the judge has declared that we have a bifurcated divorce. Now, we have researched and we cannot find any evidence that there is actually a divorce filed with the state. Yes, Gregory Lamb gave... Derek Morell, a bifurcated divorce, but it's not legal and it's not filed with the state. So they had to do this because Juliet was getting antsy. This is where she had her power, but gave it away. She should have demanded that she actually have a legal divorce and marriage. But she's so desperate to be taken care of that she doesn't care. And herein enters the trafficking control. Okay. So Derek realizes that Juliet will do anything to be taken care of by him. So he claims this bifurcated divorce, which isn't really legally happening. And then he goes and claims that he is getting married to Juliet. And the very first thing that he says is, now that I'm married, I want my daughter. Okay, the big problem here is that Juliet never liked this daughter. So what we have here is Derek using somebody who doesn't want his daughter to try and get his daughter, right? This is from the playbook of Charles Pipkin. 
Derek is being mentored by Charles Pipkin so that Charles can show his relevance, that he can show that he is still necessary. Now, our inside source has shown us that what happens is they get these women and they actually don't care what the ages are. They are very indiscriminate with that. Uh, So that shows us that they have many, many players in this organization because I talked to you about preferential pedophiles. So if they do not have the specific age of these females, then you have many people who like different ages, right? Okay. So they don't really care about the age. What they care about is being able to pretend that they are in relationships so that these women can be controlled by their men. Now, Charles comes from polygamy. So we actually believe that the marriage between Juliet and Derek is a polygamous marriage. If you go on Juliet's Facebook page, she has a picture of the blessed event. Uh, She looks like she's being tortured uh, and it looks like a polygamous marriage. Now, there are no pictures whatsoever of anybody in the wedding party. And you read the write-up of how she describes her wedding, and it's sad. Now, the thing I will tell you about Juliet is she went to college and got her English degree and wanted to become a writer. That's what she wanted to do. So she actually worked on it, and she was working on writing a book, and she was doing a pretty good job. And so she is very passionate about writing and particular about how she presents her writing. And what is written on Facebook is not Juliet's writing. So somebody else wrote it for her or made her write it for her. And most of the pictures are not of the day of. And then there's this very weird, very, very creepy picture of Derek with his daughter at the bottom with Juliet saying, we can't wait until we can have this girl in our lives. Like you never wanted this girl in your life. So that is bull. Now, what this insider has done is shown us that they take these women, girls, doesn't matter. They move them through Goshen. Then they take them through Hilldale, Utah. Once they've got them in Hilldale, Utah, where nobody's looking for them and nobody can do anything about it, then they move them across what is ironically called the loneliest highway in America. It is Highway 50. It goes uh, from the border of Utah to uh, through to Carson City, Nevada. Now, There are only a few small towns along the way here. And when you drive through those towns, it is so evident that they are not the idyllic towns that are small town USA. I told you that we were in Vernon, Nevada. So we kind of took the loneliest highway backwards. 
And we were driving through one of these small towns. And the longer we were in Vernon, the more word got out that we were in Vernon. And we were being watched the entire time. And it was getting to the point where we weren't just being watched, where they were getting ready to hurt us and make sure that we either didn't leave Vernon or we never came back to Vernon. Uh, So we got ourselves out of there and we were driving through these other small towns. And there was one of them where as soon as we got to the town, the city limit, right? the town city limit, uh, there was a police car there. Now, what you have to understand about this route, the reason they take it is because it is mostly national forest. You have like three different national forests that cover this Highway 50. National forests are not um, protected by the state police. They are protected by the park ranger, the forest police, (laughs) uh, whatever you want to call them. And they don't go driving the roads to see if you're speeding or not. So the only place you have police presence is within these little towns that are spaced along the way of this uh, route. As soon as we are driving into this small town, there is a policeman right there at the border of it. And he's just sitting there on the road in his police car. All right. So we drive through this town that is at most five minutes to drive through. There are two major, very well-maintained ballparks in this town There is nobody out. There are not kids. There are not adults. It was in the afternoon. It was sunny. It was warm. It was a nice day. There was nobody out in this town. And there are two major baseball fields within a five-minute drive straight through town. Um, They also have very well-maintained dirt roads Uh, on the hills that are beyond the town. So, and you drive up onto those dirt roads and they have fiber optics. They have radio antenna up in these hills that nobody's in and there is not good access to. The access to it are these very strange dirt bike trails that go from sheds in the backyards of these houses up to these very well-maintained dirt roads. The explanation, you can probably figure it out for yourself, but this is how they get the trafficked victims out if they're being followed or get caught. So they get them on the dirt bikes, they run them up the trails, they had cameras on many of these uh, antenna poles that we saw, and then these dirt roads, I'm not kidding, they went on forever and they wound around everywhere and they went over the backs of hills and I mean you could go from anywhere on these dirt roads if you needed to. 
we drive through this small town and at the other end of it is another cop car watching us. And he is watching us. He has got his eyes fixed on us. And we drove from one end to the other, knowing very well that we were being watched, that we were being threatened, and that we needed to get out of there. So that was how it was when we drove through every single little small town on our way through Highway 50 from Ely, Nevada to Vernon, Nevada. Now, this is the route that they take. They go Hilldale, Goshen, Ely, Vernon. When you go into Vernon, you go read A Wrinkle in Time because that is the truth. That is how that town is, is where it is. We were watched without anybody actually showing that they were watching us. It was the weirdest thing we'd ever experienced. So the thing that we know about this organization is that they are very well organized. They are ready to move their victims around. Anytime we asked for information, we got shut down. We were talking to this waitress where she was um, she was joking and laughing with us and we were having a good time. And I asked if she would look at a logo for me. And she looked at it and I said, have you ever heard of this one person? And she looked at me and she said, no, I don't know anybody here. And I said, well, you're a waitress at the local diner here. So, and she said, well, how old is this person? And we said, well, a teenager. And she said, I'm 22. Like, okay, that's an odd response. <laughs> like, all right. And then she went in the back and we never saw her again. Now, there were only two groups that were sitting in this diner, us and one other group. So she should have been out because that's her tip, right? I mean, if she's only got two groups there, then she should be seeing if they need refills, if everything's okay, here's your check, all this stuff. No, not even a little bit. We did not see her again until we went to go check out. And when we went to go check out, she was less than helpful. So we went from being best friends to do not talk to me with two questions. That is not normal. There are other things that happened in Vernon that I will talk to you about later. I will share later with some other information that we have. But I'm hoping that you see that when you are looking at these situations where it does not sound right, it does not feel right, it does not look right, that you understand that you put all those pieces together and if they all fit the explanation may sound crazy, and you may think that you are living in a science fiction book, but in reality, you have run across traffickers. <laughs>